This is the San Francisco Experience with your host, Jim Perlehy. California Dreamin' or California Leavin'? A New Exodus. Season 4, Episode 20. In the mid-1960s, a popular vocal group called the Mamas and the Papas created a series of lyrical pop ballads which rode the crest of the baby boom cultural revolution. Their lyrics and tunes were catchy and reflected the trends of the day. But probably the most memorable of all of their songs was an anthem to California called California Dreamin'. It began as an ode to California for a homesick Los Angeles girl in New York City recording, recalling the sunny warmth of Southern California. It was written in 1963, and it was first recorded in 1965. And of course, even before that song, the Beverly Hillbillies in 1962 popularized the idea of moving to California. When Jed Clampett became rich, he wanted to move to Southern California, swimming pools and movie stars. But the California dream long predated both the song and the Beverly Hillbillies. Starting with the 1849 California Gold Rush, California's name became indelibly connected with fast success in a new world. It was perceived as a place of new beginnings where great wealth could reward hard work and good luck. California was seen as a lucky place, a land of opportunity and a land of good fortune. It was a powerful belief underlying many of the accomplishments of the state, and it exists to this day. Kevin Staw, the late state historian and formerly chief librarian of San Francisco, in his seven-volume History of the State, wrote that California offered the highest possible standard of living to the middle classes, to skilled blue-collar workers, to farm owners and farm workers as well. The California dream meant an improved and more affordable family life, a small airy house, a lush backyard, and a sunny climate. It also meant good jobs, excellent roads, new hospitals, and schools and universities that were the envy of the world and free. Cutting-edge technology industries of the day flooded into California, like the film industry, aerospace, the wine industry, computers, high-tech, and medical technology. After World War II, tens of thousands of returning veterans decided to stay in California, and a population boom began. In 1930, the population of the state was 5 million. By 1950, it had doubled to 10 million. In 1960, it stood at 16 million. 1970, it was 20 million. And today, 2020, our population is 40 million. We're the largest state in the union by far. 
But is the bloom off the rose? In 2019, California saw an increase of only 87,000 new residents, or 0.2%, which is the slowest recorded population growth since 1900. That's the slowest population growth in California in 120 years. What's wrong? And 2020's increase is likely to be much lower still. Again, what is the cause of this? Well, of course, COVID-19 is going to have a major effect on the 2020 population number. But the problems are deeper than that. Again, the explosive population growth from 1963, when California hit 18 million in population, that was August 1963, it became the most populous state in the Union. To 40 million today, 2020, that growth was fueled by mass immigration unparalleled in American history as millions and millions of Americans made their, may, their way west, yours, inclu, yours truly included. Millions of baby boomers made their way to the Golden State in the 1960s, 70s, and 80s. Population growth continued apace into the 90s and 2000s, drawing not only from domestic migration, but an explosion in overseas immigration, especially from China, India, Southeast Asia, Mexico, and Latin America. So is the California dream of the 60s, 70s, and 80s over? And if so, why? Many of the original attractions that spurred population growth in the first place are still present. Pleasant climate, economic opportunity, and relaxed lifestyle. But at the same time, some significant structural changes in the state have made California a very tough place for the middle class to live, and for young folks starting their careers or starting a family, it's made it even more difficult for them to exist and prosper in California. In today's podcast, we will explore some of the reasons and where people are heading as they leave California. But while California was expanding at a rapid clip in the second half of the 20th century, there was an equally powerful, though quiet, movement which was urging caution for the breakneck growth in our state. And that group was the conservationist, or as we know them today, the environmentalist. President Theodore Roosevelt championed the conservation philosophy in the late 1800s and the early 1900s when he criticized the laissez-faire, often wasteful and dirty production practices and exploitative policies of the quickly industrializing U.S. economy. But nowhere else in California did that debate and the confrontation between opposing parties reach its peak. The challenge of economic progress and preservation of nature hit an all-time high in the debates over the construction of the Hetch Hetchy Dam 
in Yosemite National Park. The dam and its sophisticated water system, which brings melted snow, Sierra snow, from the Sierra Mountains, 150 miles down to the coast of California, continues to supply fresh water to 2 million residents of San Francisco and the Bay Area to this day. And again to this day, San Francisco's water supply from the Hetch Hetchy system is among the cleanest water supplies of any major urban center in the United States. And that includes New York, which is renowned for its high quality drinking water. John Muir, the founder and leader of the Sierra Club, bitterly opposed the building of the dam and is said to have died of a broken heart when the project proceeded. In 1903, President Roosevelt toured the Yosemite Valley with John Muir, who always tried to minimize the commercial use of water resources and forest. Muir wanted nature preserved for its own sake. But Roosevelt had a more pragmatic view, trying to balance good land stewardship and economic development. Roosevelt created the U.S. forest system to manage the, the nation's forest and to conserve them. And of course, they continue doing that to this day and somewhat controversially here in California. And I might add with regard to the Hetch Hetchy system, uh, there was a, a, a legislative proposal in the last five years to dismantle the Hetch Hetchy Dam and the Hetch Hetchy water system by the same group of environmentalists or the descendants of those uh, who were originally opposed to the Hetch Hetchy system in the first place. So that issue has not yet gone away, the Hetch Hetchy water system. By 1970, environmentalism had reemerged on the national scene with President Nixon creating the Environmental Protection Agency. Tensions rose between debates over public lands and environmental politics. And California's conservation and environmental movements came together as a potent political force. By the early 1970s, California's population had grown to 20 million people. Silicon Valley's fruit orchards were being plowed under to build new houses, shopping malls, and tech facilities. The same was happening in Southern California, only at a faster pace and a bigger pace. San Francisco, however, was very early in the movement to halt unrestricted growth. In 1956, as neighborhood activists became sensitized to proposed new freeways, decimating, dividing, and isolating established neighborhoods in San Francisco, an anti-growth political movement took shape. A series of freeways through Golden Gate Park in San Francisco and through the downtown area were canceled. Newly empowered and realizing that they could freeze development in residential and commercial neighborhoods, very restrictive planning and building codes were widely adopted in San Francisco and throughout all of California leading in part to today's unaffordable housing, because we have a lack of housing, 
and contributing to the explosive homeless problem throughout the state. But the anti-growth binge was not solely targeting freeways and new housing, but it also targeted new infrastructure. And here are some examples. California's last power plant, electric power plant, was the Diablo Canyon plant, which began construction in 1968, 52 years ago. It was commissioned in 1985 and 1986, i.e. 35 years ago, when the state population was 26 million. And it's slated to be decommissioned in 2025, and really not to be replaced. California's last dam was built in the 1970s, the New Malonis Lake Dam. Our last reservoir was built in 1967. Our last oil refinery in California was built in 1979. And over many of our oil refineries in California are over 100 years old. Yes, over 100 years old. Our last freeway built in California was 1993, or 27 years ago. Governor Pat Brown had a huge building boom in California from 1961 to 68, but California has never seen anything like it since, and certainly not before. Meanwhile, as we have neglected building our power generation capacity, our water supply capacity, our gasoline and energy capacity. California has rolling electricity blackouts in the summer, raging wildfires from August through October. A gallon of regular gasoline averages $3.35 a gallon versus about $2 in other parts of the country and periodic droughts lead to water rationing. So as you can see from the infrastructure statistics, California's energy and water supply, as well as road infrastructure, has not kept pace with our explosive population growth. How did this disparity between growing demand for energy, for water, and for roads, how did that confront the exploding population? And we seem to have lost. And our infrastructure is essentially stagnant. It's aging. Yet the population is up to 40 million. Our infrastructure, however, is sufficient for a population of about 20 million. Well. The reason for this disparity is the fact that in the mid-1970s here in California, there was a great public debate between the pro-growth people and the no-growth people. You might remember the catchphrase, small is beautiful. The latter, the no-growth camp, wanted to see population decline or to be frozen and to slow down any new infrastructure. The growth lobby, however, their mantra had always been, build it and they will come. The no growth or NIMBYs, 
namely not in my backyard lobby, argued, don't build it and they won't come. But that didn't happen. Unfortunately, the no growth lobby won half of the argument and they insisted and instituted restrictive development policies, tying up new projects for years, hoping to outlast the developers. The political establishment went along with that notion and the environmental lobby continued to argue strenuously in favor of slow to no growth in terms of infrastructure. The collapse of the California Republican Party, which was traditionally pro-business and pro-growth, effectively silenced growth advocates in government. And the state largely became a one-party rule state with environmental lobbies in a very prominent position of power. So where are we now? The unaffordable housing, our high taxes, and the very high cost of living is driving more Californians to leave, added on top of the COVID-19 pandemic, which is also forcing many residents to flee. ExitCalifornia.org, for instance, offers a one-stop shop exit strategy to, new promised, to the new promised land, especially appealing as more companies permit remote working from home. A prospective mover browses through the website, picks a state, for instance, Arizona, Idaho, Tennessee, or Texas, for instance, and a host of local realtors, mortgage lenders, and other service providers pop up. And beyond the mechanics of buying a house, other online groups pitch fed up Californians on the benefits of their city and their state. For instance, the average home price in San Diego, which is the third largest city in California, is $755,000, but in Fort Worth, Texas, a similar house sells for $260,000, one-third the cost. LeavingTheBayArea.com and LeavingSoCal.com are similar sites which are fueling the exodus. YouTube features a video entitled Fleeing California which has racked up 2 million views since it was posted in March of 2020. It starts with sweeping views of Los Angeles, palm trees, swimming pools, and Spanish tile roofs. And then it fades to a grainy cityscape of street squalor, tents, drug addicts, and the like, typical of the homeless crisis. It concludes with happy, smiling children in Texas, with Senator Ted Cruz intoning the benefits of moving to the Lone Star State. Joe Rogan, the social influencer and podcaster, recently left Southern California for Texas. But all is not welcome wagon friendliness in the Lone Star State. 
Texans make it very clear that they're happy to have the Californians come and live in Texas, but they don't want Texas to become like California. Their new mantra is, don't California my Texas. So much for the red state dream. And in closing, here are some statistics that show smaller city gaining smaller cities gaining ground at the expense of larger metropolises. Since the onset of COVID-19 in March 2020, the top 10 cities with the largest net inflows this year were Jacksonville, Florida, a net increase of 10.7% in population, Salt Lake City, net increase of 9.6%, Sacramento, 7.6%, Milwaukee, 4.5% net increase, and Kansas City, Missouri, 3.9% net increase. By contrast, the biggest losers in terms of new residents wanting to come into their cities are New York City, a negative 23.4% of new arrivals down from last year. San Francisco, negative 21.1% of new arrivals versus 2019. Seattle, negative 10.6. Boston, negative 9.9%. And Portland, Oregon, negative 9.6% in terms of net new arrivals in 2020 versus last year. So it looks like the coastal cities are being spurned by movers, while inland medium-sized cities are becoming magnets of growth. But California is still an attractive destination. Once this COVID recession is over and job patterns become more clear, California's prospects will come more clearly into focus. But major change must come to California. Our direct democracy initiatives that brought great ballot box reforms in the past, like the property tax overhaul in 1978 or the recall of Governor Gray Davis in 2002, show that California voters have the power and, most importantly, the tools to impose radical change almost overnight on the political establishment. My sources for today's podcast include calmatters.org, Wikipedia, ProPublica, and LinkedIn. This is the San Francisco Experience with your host, Jim Herlihy, reporting from America's favorite city, San Francisco.